Welcome to yet another episode of the Vipnus Podcast. This is episode number eight. I am very excited to host uh, a very special guest, Natalie McLean, whose uh, list of achievements is very long, but I will list some of them. Uh, but first of all, Natalie McLean is a journalist. She offers a popular online wine and food pairing courses. Uh, she's also the host of Unreserved Wine Talk, uh, selected as one of the best drinks podcasts by the New York Times. Uh, she has written two books, uh, both of which have, uh, have been chosen as one of Amazon's best books of the year. Um, the books are Red, White, and Drunk All Over, A Wine-Soaked Journey from Grape to Glass, great title, by the way, <laughs> and Unquenchable, A Tipsy Quest for the World's Best Bargain Bottles. Um, Natalie was named the world's best drinks journalist at the World Food Media Awards and has won four James Beard Foundation Journalism Awards. She's the only person to have won both the MFK Fisher Distinguished Writing Award from the James Beard Foundation and the MFK Fisher Award for Excellence in Culinary Writing from Le Dame d'Escoffier International, excuse my French here. Um, and Natalie joins us from Ottawa uh, in Canada. So welcome, Natalie. Hey, Alex, it's great to be back with you. It seems like ages since we chatted. <laughs> Actually, it's been a couple of days, right? <laughs> you were on my podcast. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yes. Well, welcome. And, and I'm, I'm very glad that you're joining. Uh, mm, very excited. Too. Very excited to hear about your, your wine journey. So or your origin story, if you will. So how did it start? Why, why, uh, why wine? And I know that you had another career before. So how, how did this transition happen? Well, I, I was in high tech before I got into wine, um, but my the headquarters of the company I was working for was uh, in Mountain View, California. Um, today, it's the campus of Google, but back then it was a supercomputer company. And I just started arranging my meetings on Thursdays or Fridays so that I could drive up to Noma and Sinapa on the weekends and visit wineries because I didn't have children or commitments and I also didn't have the patience to learn golf, so I had taken some wine courses, and I, it just became my jam. I just remember, I, I you probably have that aha bottle or moment, Alex. Um, yes. But, you know, I, oh, my goodness. It, it, it's just that one. For me, it was a Brunello in a small Italian bistro, and I just thought, wait, what is this? I, I, I don't know. I don't have the words to describe it but I love the way it smells and tastes and the way it makes me feel. I mean, let's face it, wine has yeah. alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> so that set me off on a course of, of um, love and wine and wanting to learn about it. So I completed a sommelier uh, certificate program. And how long night. ago was this? Oh my gosh, this was back in the Paleolithic ages. I'm not even sure that you were born, <laughs> Alex, but uh, this was 20 years ago. I've been writing about wine for, well, more than 20 years, okay. but I didn't set out to, to actually write. So first was the OMG, what is this wine? Then was the, I need to know how to describe this so I can get it again, put it into words. And then eventually the writing came later, but um, so I finished the sommelier certificate and so on. And while I was on maternity leave uh, from high tech, I thought, well, I need to keep my brain alive. So I, I know enough about wine to pitch an article to a local food magazine, how to learn about wine and food pairing on the internet. Like that was a, actually a hot topic back then. Today, you have to get a little bit more specific than that. But it worked and that became a regular column for me. 
And at the end of my maternity leave, um, I thought, you know what, I want to stay with this. I love this. I, I, you know, it's got both my passion for wine and words. I can stay home with my son. Um, the industry seems wonderful. And uh, yeah, I just kept going from there. Well, that's, that's a great story. Um, well, and you started with the food and wine pairings, and now you offer these courses. So can you tell us a little bit about these online courses that you offer? Sure. So I think food is the most accessible way to enter the world of wine. Um, we don't get too uptight about, you know, a, a whole bin of cantaloupes. We're not worried about their vintage charts or anything like that. But so I find for newbies, it's a great entry point uh, into the world of wine. And so my focus has always been to be relatable and to say and to offer courses that look at the different kinds of food and wine pairings. So in the, in the course, and by the way, it, I have just talked about newbies, but I have a lot of hospitality staff and folks from wineries and restaurants and so on that take my courses because a lot of the official accreditations don't have a deep focus on food and wine pairing. So there's a lot on regions and grapes and winemaking techniques and so on, but it tends to be either an area that's not covered at all or one that's lightly covered. So I do get a whole range of people taking the courses. And as I said, we'll cover everything from pairing fast food and wine to multi-course fancy dinner parties to you know, if you're out at a restaurant and everybody's having a different dish, what are you going to do? Practical applications and that sort of thing. But it's so fun because, you know, we're always tasting and eating um, in these courses. So um, so that has always been my focus. And of course, the, the, the pandemic changed everything for everybody. But what happened was I had an influx of students more than I had before because people obviously wanted to do something while they were home, but they realized yeah, I can learn about wine this way. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't yeah. have to be in a classroom, right? And it was so great because, and continues to be because all of these people from different countries sort of connect with each other through these courses and classes. Like we found our people, <laughs> you know, no matter where you live. And, and a lot of them are in the US or Canada, but, you know, I have, I have um, students from Brazil and the Netherlands and all around. And uh, they love connecting with each other. Um, so they're very active. We have a, like a private group as well where they can talk and can, you know, continue to hone their tasting skills. Um, but I just love all of those aspects of it. Yeah, I, I, think, I think this is a great way really to learn because you kind of like through food, you break down the wine into you know, when we take these like WSCT courses and stuff, you always like when you're analyzing the wine, you break it to, I don't know, body acidity, tannins, and all these things that can be intimidating to the newbies. But through food, you're telling them, oh, like I'm having this dish. So I want something that's like higher acid, for example. And yes. then, and then because of this, they probably um, remember more about the wine and the grapes that they're drinking. Do you have like a, a rule of thumb of, of your wine pairing or, or is, it, is, it more, uh, is it more like something that, that is specific to the situation? How does it work for you? Both. <laughs> okay. Um, so my first rule of thumb is pair the wine to the diner, not the dinner. Okay. And um, that's not mine. I, I can't for the life of me 
remember who first said it, but I love that. Drink what you like. It's another way of saying that. And don't right. get so uptight about finding the perfect pairing for Gouda cheese versus, you know, Emmenthal or whatever, uh, because we do right. a deep dive on like 25 types of cheeses. Um, so that's first. And then secondly, yeah, the, the, you know, get some basic guidelines going and then springboard off into all kinds of weird and wonderful pairings. So, you know, texture, weight, body, the fundamental elements of wine are, you know, in the glass and on the plate. How can we bring those together for more sensory pleasure? What do they do? What is the interaction that's happening? So, and that's why a lot of sommeliers will take my course because they're facing that daily or nightly, you know, people are having all these different dishes and, you know, you don't want to get too technical, but you want to be able to relate and um, give some intelligent choices. So yeah, I'd say that's where I come from. Like first, you know, let's all relax um, and drink what we like, but then let's experiment and have fun. Let's take the risk out of it. And, you know, like I've discovered all kinds of weird pairings, ketchup chips is um, they're a phenomenon that is, has been uniquely Canadian until recently. I believe the United States now has ketchup chips, one of our proud exports. I have um, to say in Serbia, we had ketchup chips when I was a child. I don't know if we <gasps> still make it, but they, Okay, uh, so maybe that's their homeland. Maybe that's the benchmark for- <laughs> there, are a lot of, there are a lot of Serbians <laughs> in Canada, so it makes sense. You brought it with you, like vine graft cuttings, <laughs> <laughs> like the early immigrants. Okay, so, so maybe it's not the benchmark for- anyone. No, 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 it probably uh, is. <laughs> yeah. So I expected ketchup chips because I know ketchup, we know ketchup is quite sweet. It has more sugar uh, per density or wise than ice cream. So it has a lot of sugar. It has a lot of salt. That's why we all love it. Yeah. So I'm thinking this has got to, ketchup chips have got to have a, an off dry wine, maybe even a dessert wine. So I lined up, because I'm very thorough, I lined up a lot of different styles of wine. And it turned out the one I loved best was a, a dry rosé. Because the ketchup chips turned out not to be as sweet as I thought. And maybe it was the saltiness as well, mitigating <laughs> the sweetness. Um, but the, the, the strawberry flavors in this dry rosé and the, the ketchupy tomato-ness of the chips really right. worked. It just blew me away. And anyone who like comes over, I say, just try this. Um, cause I keep a stash of both rosé and ketchup chips here, um, <laughs> but it's just opening your mind to different combinations. I'm sure you've heard of you know, champagne and potato chips or popcorn, but there's all kinds of wonderful combinations and you can get really technical, technical about why they work, or you can keep it on a high level. And we do both, um, in the courses that I teach. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And I love experimenting myself too. Like I had, uh, you know, a lot of times when you, I love Riesling. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's probably the grape that, that uh, drove me into, you know, learning more about wine and so on. Right. Um, and I've heard, you know, visiting uh, producers in Germany, I've heard like, you can care, you can pair Riesling to anything, like even red meat. And, you know, I was a little bit skeptical about that pairing, but uh, at one point I tried it and it was actually a sweet Riesling too, Auslese. But wow. 71 outlets. So at that point, this was like five years ago. I mean, the wine was like 50 years old or something Beautiful. like this. Yeah. So really what happens, you know, the, the sweetness kind of uh, integrates into the wine. It's not really, the wine is not that sweet anymore. It's kind of like the sugar is like eaten up, um, quote unquote, obviously. It becomes <laughs> more like body. 
Um, and really like if you're having like beef, especially if you're having beef, like prepared, like, you know, Korean way or Japanese way or something like this, it works. And, and, uh, this was like one of the aha moments of, of, uh, food and wine pairing for me, where it was just like, you know, this showed me that really you, there are really no rules. Like the best rule is what you just said, like pair it to the person who's drinking, not, not not the other way around. Uh, exactly. Anyway. And, yeah. And that one that you just brought up, Alex, is an interesting one because of course, um, you know, the, the kind of beef dishes you were just talking about can have a bit of heat to them or spice. And, yes. you know, I try to just develop or, or uh, borrow little, um, not acronyms, but little sayings that will help people remember little shorthand ways of remembering what might be a great pairing, but sweet meets heat. So when yeah. you have a hot dish, you don't want to pour lighter food fuel onto that fire that's in your mouth. You want to tame it down with a bit of sweetness, a wine that's chilled. Uh, we don't want a big oaky Cabernet. That would be awful. Just mean, mean to your tongue. Um, but also like even um, a well-caramelized steak that's not necessarily spicy. I've found that, um, you know, the sweetness or the, the caramelization in a mature Riesling or even in an oak-aged Chardonnay can pick up the caramelization notes on the steak. And it makes, again, a, a, a beautifully weird pairing that really works. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm just gonna say one more. I don't wanna steal yes. your thunder here. But, no, no, uh, go for it. Speaking of this, because I do like to eat a lot of spicy food and I love Indian food. And um, at one, cause I cover Austrian wine also, like at one of the Austrian wine dinners, I was talking to a sommelier who used to work at a Indian restaurant in New York City. And, you know, I was always saying how, you know, I would have like a cabinet or a Spätlese from Germany that I would pair with my Indian dishes and that it would work quite well for me. Mm -hmm. And he said, he said, that is true if you want to tame down the heat. But he said, I had a lot of Indian people come to my restaurant. And if I suggested this, they would get Kind of angry with me because they don't want the heat to go away they want the ah, heat so what that is he, a great point so what he figured out is that a dry gruner because he loves austrian wine as well dry gruner with like 10 years of age when it starts turning umami when it gets these like tertiary notes works quite well with all the spices that you get in indian wow. cuisine and i, I have i have to say that i have tried this numerous times and it really works um, especially if you're getting something, something from like limestone soils from Bergenland and, uh, like, you know, producers that are, that are doing it there, uh, like, I don't know, Bangladesh Moritz. Um, anyway, I want to go back to the, to the wine pairing courses and just ask, like, are there any fees, uh, associated, like, how does it work to sign up? Where can people, uh, go and, and take these courses? Sure. Yes. Well, there are some fees because I do have a mortgage, but um, <laughs> but they can take a first introductory class with me for free. So that's at my website, nataliemcleancom forward slash class. And then they can get a sense of, of my approach and the kinds of things that I teach and decide whether they want to take the more in-depth, full-on, paid-for course. Um, so with my courses, the, the prices... Um, I hesitate to say the prices just in case someone's listening to this in the future, <laughs> the prices have changed, but um, they are um, a fraction of the cost of, of, of a lot of courses, WSET and so on. Um, as you know, those can run hundreds or thousands of dollars. This is by yep. no means that. Um, so yeah, like I, I, 
I, they can find the most up-to-date information in that class that they'll take and on my website. But yeah, I just wouldn't want to state something and then someone says, hey, the price changed. So get it now while it's the least expensive it'll ever be. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's at nataliemcclain.com forward slash class. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right. I want to talk a little bit about your podcast. Um, since it's it's very popular and I was uh, I was a guest on it. Thank you for for that opportunity. Uh, Thank so you for making you... it even more popular. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit how it started and uh, what prompted the, the podcast and sure. any, anything you'd like to share really? Sure. So I started Unreserved Wine Talk in 2018, um, December. So I guess it's almost four years, which just goes by like that, as I'm sure you can relate, Alex. Um, and it, it gave me an excuse to contact people I've always been curious to talk to, uh, whether they were winemakers, wine writers, sommeliers, other podcasters like yourself. It gave me a calling card, um, not only to contact them, but to be really nosy and ask questions I would probably never ask them in polite, like at a dinner party, N nothing rude, but, you know, really like, tell me about you know, your most uh, memorable failure. That's not the kind of thing you bring up, you know, to your <laughs> guest sitting next to you. <laughs> um, so it, it, like being a writer, has opened my world to visiting winemakers around the planet. The podcast has extended that, that reach and, you know, extended my curiosity and satisfaction of my curiosity by being able to talk to even more people. Um, and so I, I I absolutely love it. And it's the connections that you form over even just, you know, half an hour or whatever the length of the podcast is going to be are so much more meaningful to me than um, posting on Facebook or some social media, even a video that that's long, you just don't get that connection. And then on the flip side, those who listen to podcasts, they are my people because they are, they tend to be loyal. They tend to like long form. They, studies have been done that uh, show that people listen. You know, once you get someone subscribing to your podcast, they'll listen to 90 to a hundred percent of the, hundred uh, percent of it. Most of them will listen to most of it. That's what I mean to say. And that's incredible in this sort of nanosecond uh, attention deprived culture that we live in with social media. And to me, yep. that's far more meaningful. It's why I write books. So podcasts is my version of books in the social media sphere, even though it's not technically social media, but it's just such right. an intimate connected way to form um, bonds and relationships. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, it's so um, convenient, right? Like you can yes. listen to a podcast while you're working out, while you're walking your dog, while you're waking up in the morning I mean it's really like you don't have to sit down like hold anything or like watch anything you can just listen and uh, exactly and and I, some people have told me that's how they've learned about wine they'll just listen to the podcast or may re-listen to them as well um, a recent guest told me that and I thought that's a good way to do it and so you're going to get people who yeah who are time starved but really really do want to learn about wine so yeah I remember um, when I first moved to the U.S., I, I lived with a family in Massachusetts as an exchange student, and my host father 
um, he had a trucking company and he, every week he would drive to New Hampshire to deliver something. I, I think newspaper, doesn't matter. Um, and he would always go to the library with me and I would rent books and he would rent audiobooks. And I was like, why don't you just rent a normal book? And he says, oh, these are for when I'm driving at night, they keep me awake. And huh. plus they're, they're super interesting and very convenient. Like I can't read while I'm driving. Sure. I thought I thought to myself, oh, that's that's kind of brilliant. So I tried it and I thought this is great. Like when you don't really have time to sit down and read the book, like if you're doing something on the side, you can always. And yeah. And that, that's that's what we have now with podcasts. I mean, this was like 16 years ago. So and I think, Alex, we're moving into an audio culture. You know, we have all the smart speakers, you know, yep. Madam A, whose name I shall not say since it'll activate everybody's. <laughs> Uh, echo device, but we've got that. We've got audiobooks are on the rise. They're they're um, increasing in sales faster than any other type or format of book. Yeah. Um, so I about two years ago I recorded Red, White, and Drunk all over as an audiobook. Um, I haven't done Unquenchable yet, but with my third book, I'm going to make sure that the audio and the ebook and the um, paperback all come out at the same time because it's just a, it's an audience that I think, you know, is, is quite different from the other types of consumers. For sure. Um, well, before I get into, into your books, uh, folks, you heard it, Unreserved Wine Talk, check it out. It's a, it's a great podcast Thank you. Um, about wine. Um, but let's talk about your book. So you have written two so far, um, and I know you have a special that you would like to offer to my listeners today. Yes, um, indeed. So, so can you tell us a little bit about the offer and also the books? Sure. So um, two of your listeners are going to win um, personally signed copies of my books, uh, Red, White, and Drunk All Over and Unquenchable, both the hardcover editions. Um, and then all they have to do and everyone um, can get my free ultimate guide to food and wine pairing if you go to nataliemcclain.com forward slash vintners for your podcast, just for your podcast. Oh, thank you. Alex. Yes, absolutely. So um, Natalie McLean is N-A-T-A-L-I-E and then Mac, M-A-C-L-E-A-N.com uh, forward slash vintners because there's many ways. No H's in there, no mix, just Max. And um, so of um, among your listeners who go and get the free food and wine guide, uh, pairing guide, which they can use um, either online or they can print it out as a lot of people do. I'll pick two winners who will get the signed copies of your books, of my books. <laughs> of your books. I haven't written one yet. Yeah, but uh, we anticipate it very soon. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, can you tell us a little bit about these two books? And then the sure. third book, you've told me that is going to be different than these two books. So then we'll, yes. we'll talk about that. Absolutely. So Red, White, and Drunk All Over was my first one. And so you can tell from the title, it's not exactly a serious tome, but um, I think people, the feedback that I received from it is that people learned a lot about wine. And again, not just novices, but you know, even sommeliers and so on. And so what I did in both books uh, was take a day in the life approach. So there were... Um, uh, these folks, I don't know if they're back in the 60s or 70s, but they were called the new journalists. And what they did was instead of just interviewing someone to write about that person or what they did, the journalist actually did the thing. So George Plimpton was one of them. And so instead of writing about the NFL, 
he tried out for the NFL and played a few games. Now he had the talent to do that, but instead of just sitting on the bleachers or interviewing the coach, he wrote from inside the experience of what that was like. And so what I did was I um, worked as a sommelier in a five diamond restaurant, French, fancy French restaurant to talk about what is good wine service? What is the role of the sommelier? And conversely on the flip side, you know, as a consumer or diner, how do you choose from a restaurant list, especially, you know, if it's a thick tome or you're not really familiar. And I did the same thing. I um, worked the harvest with Randall Graham at Bonnie Dune uh, Vineyards in California. He is a hoot. Um, so <laughs> I loved his wit and his wisdom, but also, you know, we went out in the vineyards picking grapes and doing all the things in the winery. He made me carry the spit bucket, which he really enjoyed. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Then we had, or then I worked in two different wine stores, one in New York and one in San Francisco to talk about, you know, how do you choose great wine and what is it like selling wine, especially as a little boutique store. And so it went on and on all the aspects of wine. I did them rather than just interview people. So I could, so again, I could write from inside the experience. And I think it made it more interesting because we're wired for stories and um, people still learned a lot. Like my mother, when I was little, she used to hide the peas and the mashed potatoes because I didn't like vegetables, but I sure love those creamy potatoes. So the stories of the mashed potatoes, the little peas of education are stuffed in there in these books. And what really differentiated the two was Unquenchable was all about finding great value wines. So <clears throat> instead of sticking with uh, the Northern regions of wine, like Piedmont, Tuscany, or even in France, Bordeaux, Burgundy, go south. That was one of my uh, tips. I'm just going to take a little glass of water here. No worries. I get all choked up talking about wine, as you can see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so go south. So in, in France, that would be the Languedoc. In Italy, that would be Sicily or Puglia. But you're going to find value there. And, but again, I still went out and did things in these regions to talk about what is value. How do you find it in the world of wine? Um, so yeah, that's those two books really in a nutshell. And, and the, 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 that sounds great. And the third book you're writing um, is different than these two. How yes. different? Pretty different. Um, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the title is Wine Witch on Fire. Rising from the ashes of divorce, depression, defamation, and drinking too much. So okay. I still have humor in this book because I, I can't help myself, but there are much more serious themes and it's, it's a memoir. Um, my other two books are first person accounts, but they're not exactly memoirs. Right. This one is from 20 years of, of writing and working in the wine industry. And it really is, um, I think, a great book if you want to look behind the curtain of the wine industry of what's going on. Now I'm uh, writing about it as a writer, not a winemaker or other capacities, but right. I touch on a lot of issues um, and I've had some strong feedback. Now it's still right now um, in the mode of, I have beta readers going through it. And so if anyone from your podcast wants to be a beta reader, that means an early reader to give me feedback. I welcome that. Um, you know, you can just email me. Natalie at nataliemcclain.com. And if you want to put these links in your show notes, Alex, um, whatever you I, like. I definitely will. Yep. Okay, perfect. So we're, we're at the beta reader stage. It'll be published early in 2023. And the feedback so far has been great. Um, 
but it's 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 a pretty um wide open look at uh, with real talk if you will about the wine industry but my personal experience of it and um i also get into issues of online bullying uh sexism um and so on it's not a it's not a what i call a, a misery memoir it's not all like downer but there's some just some real issues that i talk about including drinking too much, which I do think is an issue we need to talk about more in the wine trade um, because we're, we're surrounded by wine. Of course, we're drawn to wine. We love it. We love how it lights up our senses. We love the buzz. And so it's, it's a slippery slope unless you're cultivating techniques and mindfulness about exactly how much you want to drink. And again, not a downer. I will love wine. I'll never give it up, but um, just some some um, reflections that I think will help both those in the industry and outside it, um, because I think a lot of people kind of questioned their consumption during the pandemic, um, you know, as we were all confined to our spaces. But, you know, it's a it's an ongoing issue, right? So um, I, think, I hope it could be of, of help. Yeah, I think all the issues that, that you brought up are very important and that, you know, we should talk more about them. So I'm looking forward to this third book to come out. I would, I would love Thank to read you. it. I would love to be your beta reader. <laughs> You're signed up. You're, you can't escape now. I've got your email. <laughs> All right. That's, have your, your thoughts, Alex. That would I'm, be wonderful. I'm looking forward to that. That's great. I think, Perfect. you know, um, I mean, the online bullying, the sexism, and these are very real things that happen in our industry. Very unfortunate. Yes. Uh, there were a lot of a lot of things came up during the pandemic. Uh, yep. There were there were some articles in New York Times that came out. Um, That's right. And you know, I think I think a lot of a lot of the women that came forward are very brave for doing so. Um, great, great, great to see that somebody's speaking up. Um, you know, I being being a, a white male don't have much to say. Uh, I can only support. Uh, you know people who come out and, and talk about these issues. Um, well, it's so. good because you, you've got a platform and, you know, we've just brought it up. So exactly you're already helping. So that's great. Exactly. Um, but before, before uh, we, we, we wrap up you being Canadian. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Canadian wine. I am embarrassed to say that I don't know much about it. Um, I've had some wines that I, that I liked, um, but can you tell us a little bit about the scene and uh, just kind of like a quick one-on-one -on, -one on sure. Canadian wine? Yeah, absolutely. So it is um, a small industry, Canada. Uh, we have about 700 wineries which is, is pretty minuscule if you compare to California or Bordeaux or wherever. Um, we're known for ice wine, but I think our best wines are cool climate dry table wines, Pinot Noir, Riesling, Cabernet Franc, um, Chardonnay, cool climate Chardonnay as well. There are a variety of others, but I'm just going to hit the highlights here. Uh, we also do sparkling wine really well. And most of the wineries across Canada our small family are family owned craft wineries. Um, I like that you're saying craft because we're all about uh, craft yes. wine at Vintners. <laughs> exactly. And th these are your people and my people um, because they're, they're spread out. Their productions are, are tiny. Um, we don't have a lot of big corporations that run um, these wineries again, because it's just, it's a, 
still relative, well, it's not new, uh, but it's still a small industry. So the majority of wine is made in Ontario in um, four major regions. Um, most of them tend to be hugging the US where it's warmest. Uh, then we have um, just rough percentages, let's say 85 to 90% is Ontario. And then most of the rest is, is in British Columbia and the Okanagan Valley. And then you've got some pockets in Quebec and Nova Scotia. The rest of the provinces do make wine, but not from grapes. So they're making wines from berries and other fruit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've won awards on the international stage. The quality is amazing. Just the, the volume, the production is so low that you're not going to see a lot of Canadian wines in U.S. liquor stores. You'll see right. them sometimes on great restaurant lists in the U.S. Um, or elsewhere. But it is a wonderful, they are wonderful regions to visit. If you love wine, you'll be in wine heaven here because, the, I mean, the scenery is always spectacular, but a lot of these wineries or some of them have beautiful restaurants attached. So you can do multi-course wine and food pairing meals, back to that again. Um, but there's, you know, you can do all kinds of things. There's spas, there's ballooning, there's th things for the kids and wonderful, wonderful vacation to discover Canadian wines. That's uh that, that sounds exciting. I, uh, several years ago, I was at the dinner with the uh, folks from Checkmate Winery in uh, yes. British Columbia. Oh, that's a great winery. And we were tasting uh, their Chardonnays. That was the dinner was just about Chardonnays, and I thought they were they were very very good. Uh, mm -hmm. But one interesting thing that came up during the dinner and the presentation was the climate change. And you know, mm -hmm. this is another thing that I think we should all talk about more. Um, yeah because it is very real, despite what some, some people might say. Um, and, and one of the things and you know, me covering Germany and also Austria, um, Loire Valley, like these are all kind of cooler regions, Canada also being a cooler region. One thing that we've noticed with climate change is that these regions are kind of benefiting from it. And mm -hmm. it sounds, it sounds bad to say because no nobody should be benefiting from climate change, but it seems like the the quality has has gone up. Has, mm -hmm. uh, do mm -hmm. do you agree with this? Yeah, overall it's been, I think. Well, I don't know if I even should say over well. I'll just say that what's happening in our regions is that the red wines are getting riper. That we've had yeah. trouble ripening. So Syrah, um, there's not tons of Cabernet Sauvignon here because we are a cool climate, but those that are made are, are getting riper. Of course, the flip side, the risk is that, you know, um, our Rieslings and cool climate grapes, Pinot Noir, are going to lose their nervy acidic edge. Um, right. But I, I, I haven't tasted that, but, you know, that could be the flip side of getting riper reds and riper wines. Um, what it's also done, <clears throat> uh, Nova Scotia and Quebec have more marginal climates than Ontario and BC, they are having higher success because they've only planted, or the majority of what they've planted in the past has been hybrids. And, okay. um, but now they're able to plant more and more of the classic noble varieties like your Chardonnay and your uh, Pinots and so on. So yeah, it's, um, it's a mixed bag. And the winemakers I've talked about call it less global warming than global weirding. And um, because you're getting all of these freakish um, cl uh, climate events. So there'll right. be 
hail in July, or, you know, there'll be a heat wave, like an extreme heat wave in, you know, end of November or, you know, frost, whatever. So those that's challenging too, but yes, there, there are some upsides, fortunately. I'm going to step out of the Canadian wine for a second, just to talk about climate change. And one thing that I recently um, brought up at a, at a dinner with friends is how will this affect like, you know, the best quote unquote, the best wine regions of the world will, do you think that Burgundy in like 20 years will still be considered one of the best wine regions for wine growing? I mean, we're already seeing a lot of difficulties in the past five, in the last five years. Yeah. I, well, certainly going to get more challenging. Um, Burgundy, they, they have not to make a pun, but they have such deep roots and knowledge of what works there. And I know that's changing, but because they have such mastery of the vines, the soils and so on, I don't know, maybe they'll discover techniques to adapt. I don't know, different clones that start, you know, need to be planted. I'm not sure. I, I would never underestimate the fine wine regions because they have a lot invested. They're always doing research and experimentation. I'm sure they've got lots of things already started in anticipation of these these climactic changes. Um, But yeah, I guess because I'm such a lover of Burgundy, you know, Pinot Noir is my go-to. I just, um, I don't want to admit that they could ever be knocked off their their pedestal because it's just such an exquisite wine. So I hope not. (laughs) I hope they're working on it. I'm sure they are. Well, you know, one of my friends said something that that is probably true. And and that is that it's probably going to be a different profile of what we we know. That's true. Um, That's true. So, yeah, I mean, uh, again, we're, we're getting to the, down the misery lane. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. We've got wine to cheer us up. (laughs) Well, we, we got to talk about real things as well. Um, so just to go back to Canadian wine for a second, um, can you, are there any, any, uh, well, you said a lot of wineries are craft wineries. Uh, are there any like natural wineries? So, so people who are experimenting with not adding sulfur and, and so on. Yeah, there's lots of that going on. And um, of course, natural wine has means many things to many people, but um, right. I, I would like to highlight um, one of our best winemakers, Anne Sperling. And she um, is the lead, is the winemaker at Southbrook Vineyards, which is um, biodynamic. She also formed the first world's first appellation for orange wines. Um, under the Vintners Quality Alliance, our VQA, which is like our DOC here in Canada. And she has vineyards in BC, Sperling Vineyards, and she and her husband are just pioneers in this, in the Canadian industry. She also, they consult on wineries in Nova Scotia and elsewhere. And she's just really led the way for um, orange wine, biodynamic, um, but also all kinds like pet nats and sulfur, no sulfur. And it's, her wines are, are really uh, those to seek out if you want to start um, with a Canadian wine that is, you know, going more experimental, but beautifully made. No funky, foxy, nothing. It's, it's really, her wines are superb. I love her Vidal based orange wine, Vidal uh, being also the grape for a lot of ice wines as well. Right. That's, that's very interesting. I will, I will definitely have to uh, look, look out for that. Um, yes. Well, th- thank you for that, for that 101 uh, and also for that My recommendation. 
Um, another thing that you do, you have a mobile app um, that it helps wine lovers and professionals alike. Can you tell us a little bit about this mobile app? Sure. Since I came from high tech, um, I've always been interested in the intersection between technology and wine. And I just consider myself a double geek between wine and tech anyway. So uh, back in 2008, I developed mobile apps for iPhone and Android, and they've been constantly updated ever since. Um, so it has both a front label optical reader to bring up wine reviews and pairings and that sort of thing, and a back barcode reader, which is a separate piece of technology that's embedded in the app. So you can find out the information about wine in two different ways, depending on what's on your label. And in Canada, it geosyncs with the inventory of our Canadian liquor stores in real time. So it, it will know if you give the app permission where you are and the closest liquor store that has the wine you want right now and how many bottles are in stock. Oh, that's awesome. Also, yeah, if you go to a liquor store and you don't know which wine you want, you could be standing in front of a wall of bottles. This app will say, okay, uh, what do you want? A value red, a high score red, and it'll do that for white, sparkling, rosé, sweet. And it'll give you my top 10 in that category that are in stock in the store that you're at right now. So it's kind of marrying up the, the reviews, the pairings, and real-time stock store information, because that's the tricky part. Um, because, you know, there are, at least here in Canada, there are other apps that will tell you to go to Arkansas to get that <laughs> Chardonnay, but that's not that helpful. Um, so I think putting all of that technology together has been kind of the sweet spot for these apps. It sounds very useful. What's the name of the app? Uh, if you just look under my name, Natalie McLean. Okay wine reviews and pairings. But if you just search under my name, you'll find the app. And I get lots of users from the States and elsewhere because they just want, you know, it'll still scan the label of whatever bottle you've got or the barcode and bring up my reviews and pairings and so on. I just don't have all the stock of worldwide stores in there because that would be ginormous. Um, so, but it's still very useful outside the country as well. Okay, awesome. I will definitely check that out. Sure. Um, well, before I wrap up, I want to mention again the, the two books um, that you will offer um, so, so people can, can uh, sign up and, and try to win these two books. You will pick two winners, um, mm -hmm. from what I understood, pretty randomly. Yep, totally randomly at nataliemcclain.com forward slash vintners. Um, just go there and you'll get the free pairing guide. And then from those who sign up that way, uh, or actually just opt to get the guide, I should say, um, I'll choose two winners. That is, that is great. Um, yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining, Natalie. This thank was, you, Alex. This, this was fun. very interesting, actually. Um, and I hope, that, I hope that, that listeners will enjoy it as well, and this will be a success. Absolutely. Um, we'll have to keep this going. We'll have to do part two or whatever, when, maybe when the book comes out. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's actually a great idea. Um, sure. All right. Until until next time, I talk to you. Enjoy some good wine. Uh, don't don't go down the misery lane too, too no, often. No, no, it's okay. We'll be fine. Everybody will be happy in the end. I like happy endings. I you know don't know of any other. But thank you, Alex. I appreciate um, chatting with you, and uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. Thank you very much.
All right, take care. Take care.